Lots of news surrounding Ukraine on the programme tonight. President Zelensky currently in Istanbul, where he's pushing for Ukraine's membership of NATO. He's also been in Prague today, where he's been calling on the NATO alliance to supply him with longer-range weapons. But you'll see from the headlines, it is the White House decision to supply cluster munitions, confirmed in the last hour, which is now dividing the alliance. More than 100 countries have already signed up to a moratorium on cluster munitions, including the UK, France and Germany. All that to come. But let's talk about the counter-offensive in Ukraine, because it has been slow to take hold. There are soldiers, there are some Western observers, who are starting to wonder if a breakthrough is possible, or whether Russia's defensive lines, heavily reinforced through the winter, are simply too much of a barrier. Today in Prague, President Zelensky said his country needs longer-range weapons. Without them, he said, the counter-offensive will be blunted. There are concerns within NATO that military strikes within Russia might lead to further escalation. So, what is the solution? Well, in just the last hour, the US has confirmed that it will be sending cluster munitions to Ukraine. Not an entirely palatable solution to many observers. But the White House says while these weapons do carry a risk to civilians, American cluster bombs are less of a risk to bystanders because US bombs have a lower failure rate than those used by Russia. The National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, said there would be a much greater risk to the country if Russia is allowed to advance. Artillery is at the core of this conflict. Ukraine is firing thousands of rounds a day to defend against Russian efforts to advance and also to support its own efforts to retake its sovereign territory. We have provided Ukraine with a historic amount of unitary artillery rounds and we are ramping up domestic production of these rounds. We've already seen substantial increases in production, but this process will continue to take time, and it will be critical to provide Ukraine with a bridge of supplies while our domestic production is ramped up. We will not leave Ukraine defenseless at any point in this conflict, period. Second, Russia has been using cluster munitions since the start of this war to attack Ukraine. Russia has been using cluster munitions with high dud or failure rates of between 30 and 40 percent. In this environment, Ukraine has been requesting cluster munitions in order to defend its own sovereign territory. The cluster munitions that we would provide have dud rates far below what Russia is doing, is, is providing, not higher than 2.5 percent. That was Jake Sullivan at the White House. This was Colin Carl at the Pentagon just a short time ago. We're working with Ukraine to minimize the risks associated with the decision. The Ukrainian government has offered us assurances in writing on the responsible use of DPICMs, including that they will not use the rounds in civilian populated urban environments, and that they will record where they use these rounds, which will simplify later demining efforts. Ukraine also has committed to post-conflict demining efforts to mitigate any potential harm to civilians. The United States has already invested more than $95 million in Ukraine's demining activities, and we will provide more support to help Ukraine mitigate the impacts of cluster munition use by both sides in this conflict. And fourth, and this is critical, by providing Ukraine with DPICM artillery ammunition, we will ensure that the Ukrainian military has sufficient artillery ammunition for many months to come. In this period, the United States, our allies and partners, will continue to ramp up our defense industrial bases to support Ukraine. For the past year and a half, President Biden has been clear that we will support Ukraine for as long as it takes. 
Let's go straight to Washington. Our correspondent, Nomia Iqbal, was watching all that for us. And a pretty robust defence, Nomia, of the reasons for sending cluster munitions. I guess it has to be, doesn't it, given the huge controversy around it, given that you are, we are seeing some cracks in the coalition over it. But the US's view on this is pretty simple. I mean, what was interesting, uh, you know, just before that, the Pentagon briefing, you know, Jake Sullivan saying, look, essentially, Russia's using them. So Ukraine is justified in using them too. Uh, he made the point that uh, the, the ones that Russia are using have a much, uh, their failure rate is about 50%. And the ones that Ukraine would be getting from America, as you know, you're pointing out there, the dud rates, the failure rates uh, is much lower than that. But what's interesting, Christian, is that there hasn't really, we haven't really seen any evidence of that so far. Certainly, you know, it hasn't been disclosed to the media. Uh, it, you know, they are saying that the these tests have been taken, uh, there's five tests that have been taken place over the course of the few years to show that sort of determined that these munitions have this low failure rate. But that doesn't stop it from being controversial because you do have more than 100 countries, uh, NATO member countries, who are concerned about this. They have uh, signed this 2008 treaty, which bars the use, the production, the stockpiling of cluster munitions. Uh, but America is confident that these munitions uh, are justified in being sent to Ukraine, also making the point that Ukraine has an incentive to make sure that after the war is over, when, whenever that will be, that these munitions will be cleared up uh, and the US will assist in that. Uh, they talked about uh, why they would be advantageous on, on the battlefield. I just wonder, Nomi, whether it also comes down to the US inventory. They've sent an awful lot of shells for the howitzers, for the HIMARS. This is a, a weapon that is quickly going out of date. They don't produce it anymore, certainly not for the US Army. Do you think there is a sense that, look, it's there, they need something, we're a bit low on the munitions that we could send, so let's send this? Possibly. As you said, they phased them out in 2016, you know, America, which is sort of inherently contradictory, isn't it? Because America uh, agreed that they posed a risk to civilians. So they've got a huge stockpile of them, essentially, just waiting to go. And these would be ground launched. So they've already, the Ukrainians already have the howitzer, uh, uh, you know, artillery weaponry to, to launch them. So, yeah, in that, in that, in that sense, it's uh, something that, you know, America knows that it can provide. Having said that, Ukraine asked for these weapons a year ago. And so I think it's probably fair to speculate that it's probably taken about a year for the US to have these talks to try and, you know, discuss with their allies behind closed doors, uh, you know, if, if, if it was right to send them, if it was justified in sending them. The interesting thing is Jake Sullivan did make a point um, in his uh, statement, in his sort of answer, answers to questions by journalists, that uh, they had been talking to allies, including those signatories to the treaty, which uh, ban cluster munitions. And they had said that they understood. And Germany, we know, has criticised America for for the use of this. But they they have said also that they that they believe that America's done everything it can to 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 believe that these munitions that they are sending over are safe enough. Nomia, thank you very much uh, for that. As Nomia suggests, uh, not universally welcome. The UK, Germany and France have banned the use of cluster bombs by their own armed forces. And Germany says, did say today, in fact, the foreign minister said it, uh, that they are opposed to sending them to Ukraine. NATO Secretary General has admitted there is a difference among allies on whether cluster weapons should be used.
uh, it is for individual allies to make decisions on what type of weapons. Uh, all allies agree that we should deliver weapons, uh, uh, ammunition to Ukraine, and allies are delivering an unprecedented level uh, of, of military support to Ukraine. And of course, Germany and many, many other allies uh, uh, are delivering different types of ammunition, weapons to Ukraine. Uh, but when it comes to uh, cluster ammunition, uh, there is a difference between allies, because some allies have signed the convention on cluster munitions, and they don't have a cluster munitions, so of course there is no uh, cluster munitions to provide to Ukraine. Other allies have not signed the uh, convention, um, and uh, many of them, or at least some of them, have cluster munitions. Jens Stoltenberg there. So what are they, and why are these weapons so controversial? Well. Each cluster munition carries a large number of smaller bomblets that are dispersed over a wider area. The concern is that those bomblets that fail to explode then pose a danger to civilians long after the conflict has ended. And for that reason, as Nomia told you, they've been banned in 120 countries. Human Rights Watch says both Russian and Ukrainian forces have used cluster munitions already, killing civilians as well as military personnel. Let's bring in Andrew Fox. He's a retired British Army Major. Thank you very much for being with us. Give us the military perspective on this. Why would it be attractive to um, a Ukrainian officer on the ground? The clue's really in the name. So DPICM stands for Dual Purpose Improved Conventional Munition. Um, and the dual purpose it's talking about is the fact that it can be used to both destroy armoured vehicles as well as, uh, you know, kill enemy enemy soldiers. Uh, the way these things work, they're effectively a tube that's filled with um, around 650 submunitions. Uh, the submunitions are high explosive anti-tank rounds, so the Ukrainian officers will be able to use them when they call for fires to destroy armoured vehicles and to destroy bunkers. The casing that the, the, the missile comes in, the shell comes in, uh, is pre pre notched, so as it explodes, that sends fragments everywhere, and that's what uh, is supposed to take care of of dismounted personnel. So you can use these missiles uh, to saturate, you know, many many kilometers squared with every round fired. So in terms of uh, in terms of winning the battle, you know, the artillery, and it pains me as an infantry officer to say this, uh, the artillery is known as the king of battle, and it's a generally a good rule of thumb to say the side that wins the artillery is probably going to win. So that artillery is absolutely critical uh, for the Ukrainian offensive efforts. I've seen these bomblets firsthand um, in Iraq, in fact. They were used uh, in, in 2003. And the danger, of course, is that the bomblets that don't explode are quite colourful. Children tend to pick them up. Uh, and if you go to these war zones, you will see um, civilians with some quite horrific injuries. You, you know, their arms or, 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 or legs have had to be amputated. And, and that's why there is a, a moral question. But the Americans are making a point today, Jake Sullivan made it quite forcefully, that where these particular weapons would be deployed, these are areas already heavily mined where you probably wouldn't find a lot of civilians. Yeah, and to address your first point, you know, in, in the Gulf War, in three weeks, the US and the UK fired about 13,000 of these shells which equates to about 1.8 to 2 million uh, submunitions. Um, the real problem with them is it's, they're very hard to disarm apart from by detonating them. Um, and obviously that's slightly different to a normal mine where you can remove the fuse and that renders it safe. So these are actually very difficult to, um, to defuse. You, you probably will have to just set them off. Um, and I think it's a fair point. You know, where Russians go, mines go. You know, even in Afghanistan when I fought there, 
Um, there were areas around places like Musakala and Northern Helmand where the Russians had been in the 80s. And to this day, there are areas that you just don't go to because they're so heavily mined. On top of that, topsoil tends to shift. Uh, and, you know, Bosnia has this problem. Yes, they made maps back in the day of where mines were laid, but topsoil shifts and therefore so do the buried mines. So, you know, demining is an incredibly challenging and difficult thing. And there is potentially an argument that using cluster munitions will make that job even harder. Mm. Let's, let's talk about the conflict, because I made the point at the top that there are soldiers on the ground who are asking questions about the counteroffensive and, and whether it's going to take hold. Here, there is a, there's what they call the glass theory, um, that the counteroffensive will build pressure, it'll continue to build pressure over weeks and months, and eventually Russia's defences will simply shatter. Do you think this is the kind of weapon, given that the Russians are so well dug in after the winter, is this the kind of, of weapon that might just shift the momentum? Yeah, you know, looking at historical precedent, you have to be slightly careful about making those assumptions. Uh, you know, think about the bombardment of artillery before the Battle of the Somme. You know, that was that was 1st of July. So, we're, you know, it's a timely reminder. You know, we assumed that the artillery would cut the wire, that the Germans in the trenches would, would take casualties from that artillery. But their bunkers were so were so effective that uh, obviously they, they were able to pop up and, and you know, repel the British attacks. Um, how does that parallel to Ukraine? Well, we're talking about artillery here, with particularly with cluster munitions that are a lot more advanced than that. Um, and I think when it comes to the Ukrainian offensive, it's very clear they've got a um, a, a tactic to to try and grind down the Russian line and work out where the the weak spots are, and then attack them in force as and when they appear. Um, if you can use something like a cluster munition to to inflict attrition on your enemy on you know on their on their simple troop numbers you know if you can kill more of their soldiers before you attack obviously that's going to put you in a better position and so whilst these munitions are incredibly controversial and rightly so particularly when used by countries whose munitions do have that really high failure rate um you know that is to be condemned whereas if the americans can make the guarantees of no more than two and a half percent then you know i can see a case for that but it's worth saying, if you fire 100 of these shells with, take an M26 round, which has 644 submunitions, if you fire 100 of those rounds, that's 64,400 submunitions, and at a 2.5% failure rate, that's still around 1,600 unexploded submunitions. So, you know, 2.5% sounds small, but when you start scaling it up in, into thousands of rounds fired, that is, that is a, a huge amount of uh, unexploded munition on the battlefield. Crucially important perspective. Andrew Fox, very grateful. Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, President Zelensky is tonight in Istanbul ahead of an important NATO summit in Vilnius next week. He's just been met by President Erdogan. There you can see them both. They are the latest pictures that have just come in. Ahead of that Vilnius summit, Mr Zelensky said NATO's failure to resolve the issue of Sweden's accession, which is currently held up by Turkey, and their failure to agree a path for Ukraine's future membership was a threat to the strength of the alliance. The British Prime Minister has phoned President Erdogan today to underline the significant benefits of Sweden joining NATO. Number 10 said there's been significant progress in addressing Turkey's security concerns and that Sweden's accession should be ratified as soon as possible. Let's talk to Galip Delay from the Chatham House uh, MENA programme. Thank you very much for being with us. Where, where do you think President Erdogan is currently on the issue of Sweden's accession? Well, right now there is a very high pitch, last minute uh, diplomacy taking place. The, Turkey's uh, foreign minister with the chief of intelligence, 
uh, were in Brussels. They were negotiating with their Swedish counterparts. There has been uh, a very much diplomacy taking place between President Erdogan and the, the leader of the several NATO countries, including the UK one. So we are seeing a very uh, right now fast-paced, uh, fast-paced uh, diplomacy, and uh, and that actually increases the hope that we might see a breakthrough uh, in Vilnius. So the hopes are high, but nevertheless, it's very difficult to tell until the last minute. That was the case the last year also we saw in Madrid during the Madrid summit when the question of Swedish and Finnish uh, candidacy was on the table, and it was the last minute. And it was the U.S. intervention as well that helped to save the day. Yeah, Jake Sullivan giving no guarantees in his press briefing in the last hour. Let's turn then to this relationship between the two men, President Zelensky and President Erdogan. Mm -hmm. Crucially important because, of course, President Erdogan does have an open door to the Russian President Vladimir Putin. What do you think Zelensky will want from this visit? Well, there are several items on the agenda. One of the important items is the fate of the grain deal, the uh, the grain deal that Turkey and UN brokered with Russia and Ukraine. It is very crucial, this grain deal, particularly when it comes to food security in places like Africa, in places like Middle East. And now this deal is about to come to, uh, is about to expire on the 17th of July. The Russia is dragging its feet to renew it. The Ukraine made its commitment to for renewing it. Turkey wants this to be renewed. The UN wants this to be renewed. The developing world wants this renewed. So therefore, this green deal is high on the agenda. Apart from this, the several other items includes the defense industrial cooperation between Ukraine and Turkey. Uh, unlike many things, it's not only the drone sales that takes place between Turkey and Ukraine. Turkey and Ukraine actually engages in a very close defense industrial cooperation that is also going to be on the agenda. Obviously, the Ukraine wants uh, security guarantees from NATO. Uh, and for this, the Zelensky will be uh, lobbying the NATO leaders, including the President Erdogan. That will be also on the agenda. The Turkey also plays a diplomatic role between Russia and Ukraine. That will be also on the agenda because the previous the Turkey, uh, uh, Turkey uh, coordinated talks between the Ukrainian diplomats and the Russian diplomats uh, in Turkey, and President Erdogan wants a similar to take place again. So therefore, this is going to be a quite heavy agenda between the both countries to discuss uh, to discuss the NATO summit will be part of it, mm. and then the Green Deal will be high yeah. on the agenda as well. Lots on the table. Uh, okay, uh, we'll leave that there. Galip Delay, thank you very much indeed.